This week's parsha is Parsha's Kisisa. There's a fascinating Gemara in the Darim, Aleph. The Gemara says, Amr of Yechanan, Ena Kadishparchu Mashushchi Nasai, Hakadishparchu only chooses to be Mashushchina, the candidate for Nevoa, for Hakadishparchu to be Mashushchina upon, is only if you're a Gibar, Ashir, Chacham, Anav. You have to have four major characteristics in order to be a candidate to be a Navi. You have to be a Gibar, you have to be strong, you have to be wealthy, you have to be wise, and you have to be humble. If you have all of those four qualities, then you could apply for the job as being a Navi. Vikulan mi and the Gemara says we learn all of these out from Meisha. Meisha was the quintessential Navi, like Ham. There's no one else like Meisha in Nevuah. And so we learn from Meisha Rabbeinu that he had these four qualities, and all Nevi'im likewise will also require those qualities. And the Gemara, when it's exploring how Meisha Rabbeinu was each of these, the Gemara brings up, how do we know that Meshe Rabbeinu was wealthy? And it brings a Pasuk in this week's parsha, Pesolacha. This is a Pasuk that appears by the Luchai Shniyais. Meshe Rabbeinu smashed the Luchai Shrishainais. He went up, he got the Luchai Shniyais. The Luchai Shniyais were not given divinely by the Rabbeinu Shleilam, meaning it wasn't given like Luchai Shrishainais, that they were given prepackaged and complete. But Meshe Rabbeinu was commanded to actually himself chisel out of tablet the the Asaras uh, HaDibris. So the Torah says, Pesolacha, you should etch for yourself. You should carve out on your own. Don't expect me to do it for you. Lucha Shnias is going to be by you. Pesolacha and the Gemara Darshins Psulasan shel that the psilas, the the shearings, the shavings, the the etchings that are being taken out of this precious stone that the luchas were made of, that you get to keep yourself. Psulasan shel the psilas, the psulin, the etchings from this very precious stone, you can keep. That's your tip. I'm going to allow you to keep whatever you etch out of the luchais and that you're able to keep on your own. And from those etchings, from those shavings, Meshe Rabbeinu amassed a fortune. This is a very precious stone. It's called Samparinon. If it's sapphire, if it's diamond, whatever it may be, but it's a, a stone that every single chip of it was very valuable. And Meshe Rabbeinu was allowed to keep all of the, all of the shirayim of his job of etching out, of carving out of these tablets, the Aseris HaDibris, Moshe Rabbeinu was told, you can keep that yourself. And from that, Moshe Rabbeinu got wealthy, and therefore he was able to get the Asheras HaShechina. Rashi in this week's parasha also uh, speaks about this Chazal. Psalacha Rashi says, Her Eyo Mechatsev Sanpurinan Mitaych Aloi. 
the Amar Loi Hapselas Yeshalcha. Again, this sapphire stone was uh, shown to Meshrabeno, and he said, You chisel out, and whatever you chisel out, you get to keep for yourself. And Misham Nisasher Meshe Harbe. From this, Meshe got exceedingly wealthy, says Rashi. That extra word, by the way, Harbe, a lot of the Mepharshim are aiming on. What did Rashi mean? Should just say that he was Nisasher, he got wealthy. What does it mean, Nisasher Harbe? So some Mepharshim, like the Yaivitz, wants to say that Meshe Rabbeinu got extra wealthy from these Psylas, but really he must have been already wealthy before. And that's Mestaber. Makes sense. Why? Because Meshe Rabbeinu didn't just start getting Nevuah from the Sulem, from, from the Psylas of the Luchashnirs. Meshe Rabbeinu was already a, a Navi very early on. In, in, in Mitzrayim he was a Navi, and by, by uh, Mount Tyre he was a Navi. So obviously he had wealth beforehand. It's just that he got extra wealthy from this, from the psulim of the uh, of the luchais. The mafarshim discuss b'derech drush how to take musar from this chazal, and they say as follows. Rabbi Pesach Stein, who was uh, one of the great Rosh Hashivas of Tells in Cleveland, he has a very beautiful mahalach in what this chazal means. It doesn't necessarily mean kipshutai, that Moshe Rabbeinu became wealthy in a, in a physical, financial sense. And the whole chazal really needs beer, and uh, some really go very deeply into explaining how all of these qualities of nevuah Gibar and Asher and Chacham and Anav, these are all spiritual qualities. These are not physical qualities. If a person's not necessarily physically strong, he could probably still be a Navi. And if he's not a millionaire, he could probably still be a Navi as well. Chazal means something deeper. And Repesach Stein says that what Chazal maybe means is that the Asher of Tyra, how did Moshe succeed in becoming such a wealthy Talmud Chacham? How was he able to acquire so much Tyra knowledge? He was, he had the whole Tyra in his head. How was he able to be this Asher? How was he able to have the real Asher in life, which is the Asher of Tyra? From Psalacha, from the Psulim that he amassed. What does that mean? So he says that what this means is, that the way that you become a Talmud Chacham is by the little bits and pieces, the little chips of Taira that you acquire a little bit here, a little bit there, that's how you become a very big Talmud Chacham. Sort of, we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago as well, but it's a little bit different. He says that if you take the chips of Taira, what does it mean the chips of Taira? You take five minutes here, and five minutes there, and a minute here, and a minute there, and you think that those are minutes that it doesn't count. That, you know, what's the big deal? I mean, it's not even worth like opening up a Mishnayis, opening up a Chumash, because you know I'm going to have to close it anyway in a minute. He says you're wrong. The way that Moshe Rabbeinu was Nisasher was by the Psalus, by the Psulin, by those little chippings that he was he was hammering out of the sapphire of the stone. He had a little chip here, a little chip there. He got very wealthy. I once uh, read a, uh, a cute story. I, I think it's true. 
that there was a very smart businessman, and he saw that they were there was a uh, like a jewelry shop that created that cut diamonds and uh, and cut gold and polished diamonds and gold. Like this, they were it's like a and so and then they were going out of business. So they were had a for sale sign on the store. Everything must go. So some guy came in and bought some of the equipment, some of the, uh, the, the, the diamond polishing equipment, and some of the, the hammers, and the uh, magnifying glass, the loops, and the, the, the lighting fixtures. And a yid comes in and he says, is the carpet for sale? Is the carpet? You want the carpet? Yeah, you can take it for free. You know, we don't need the carpet. Says, really? I could have it for free? Thank you. And he, he takes the carpet, he brings it back to his warehouse, and he bangs out everything from the carpet, and he had like thousands of dollars worth of diamond dust and uh, and gold powder, and he was able to like be mitzvahif at all and make a fortune. And that's exactly the way it is when it comes to to chachma, when it comes to Tyra. when a person is able to utilize the small bits and pieces of time to learn. From those little bits and pieces, you're able to mitzvahif a lot from that. There's a famous story about Reb Zella Gruvein Bengis, who was one of the great Tamid Chacham of Yerushalayim. He's the Rava Rashi of Yerushalayim of the Eda Haredus. He lived from 1864 to 1953. He was a Rebbe. You could tell sometimes a lot, even if he's not a household name necessarily in America. But you could tell very often who a person is by who his Talmidim were. And his Talmidim, amongst his many Talmidim in Yerushalayim, was Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Auerbach and Rabbi Yashiv. So that was, this was the Rebbe of Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Rabbi Yashiv, one of the Rabbeim. And he was, he was a Bucky Nifla in Shas and Paiskim. He was like an unbelievable Mali Vagadish in Tyro. And his Minig was, he was very into making Siyumim. In fact, he, uh, he wrote a, a series of svarim called Leflagais Ruuvein, which is a, uh, it's a multi-volume set, pretty famous. And what is, he, what is the topic of these, of these svarim? Hadronim. Hadronim means a hadron. When you make a, when you make a siyam on Mesechah's sukkah, Mesechah's bab mitziah, bab akama, you know, and your Mesayim. So we just make a siyam, maybe we say a vart, and that's it. But there is a whole lost art of a hadron that real Talmud Chacham used to do and they would basically sometimes be makasher they would tie the beginning of the Masechta with the end of the Masechta and create a lot of pilpal and a whole arichos and you know basically summing up the entire Masechta with brilliance and with throwing around the, uh, you know a ton of marimakaymas and rishainim and achreinim and, and sugyas and that's a whole art. It's a lost art. I don't know if anyone does that anymore, but it's called a, a hadron. And he wrote a series of psalms. He thought that this would be a very popular sefer um, because, you know, everybody makes a hadron, and this would be the go-to sefer when you make a hadron. I don't know if it worked out that way because I don't know if, you know, people really put that much effort in, when they make a siyam and into going into that much arichas about, about the hadron. But... Uh, this is what he did. So he was a very big bucky in in Shas, and he made siyumim all the time. So I don't know exactly how often he would make a siyum on Shas, but let's say he would make it every every three months, for argument's sake. 
So one, and he, when he made a siyum, he would invite all of his talmidim, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, and all the big talmidim of Yerushalayim would come to his siyum, and it was quite often. It wasn't a rare event. It was pretty consistent. So what happened was, he made a siyum, let's say today, and then everyone came and ate, and, and then like, on Tuesday, let's say, he would invite the same chevra for another siyum on Shas. And that was very confusing. They said, wow, that, you, know, uh, you, you know, how'd you do that? You know, now we don't even know, like, you know, you, you, you know three months itself is a big chiddish, but three days, how'd you pull that one off? So he says, no, no, no. He says, the three month, that's a cycle that I learn there every single day. I have starim and I, I'm able to, to learn and finish shas in three months. He says, this is a different siyam. This is a siyam Independent of my regular starim, this is a siyam on how I was able to chaparain a few minutes here, a few minutes there, while I was waiting for a, a cab to come pick me up, while I was waiting at a bus stop, while I was on a bus, while I was at a chasna, while I was after the, the chuppah, before the chuppah, all of these things, these are times that everybody, you know, schmoozes and wastes and thinks it's like not, there's no, there's no gain in these little minutes here, minutes there. He says, but I was able to have a seder, a separate seder in Shas, then and now making a siyam on Shas just by those psulin, by those psilas, psul, from the psilas of the luchais, you can become this asher, you can become very wealthy from the bits and pieces, from the little shards of time that everybody else throws in the garbage, everybody else sees as being not worthy of, of, of spending time to learn then, if you're able to be smart enough to spend time learning in those moments of your life that everybody else wastes, that will be a tremendous source of Ashiras in Tyra. Rav Gifter used to also be very machshiv every little bit of Tyra. A story goes that he went to a diamond merchant with uh, one of his Talmidim, maybe his son-in-law, who was his Talmud or foyer, and he uh, and the diamond merchant, while he or Gifter was talking to him, I guess, about fundraising for the yeshiva, uh, his son-in-law, his Talmud, was looking at, like, the little diamonds, The it's called baguettes. If you, whatever, if, sometimes girls want uh, that the diamond engagement ring have are enhanced by baguettes on the side. The baguettes are like little, not the rolls, not the thing you buy in a bagel store. It's a little diamond chip almost. And it just like sort of, they put it into the, into the, um, into the thing that holds the, the diamond. And, uh, and, and it sort of just enhances the beauty of the main diamond. So he was looking at these little chips and, and the diamond merchant said to have gifter, half jokingly says, you better be careful about your Talmud over here because it seems like he's, He's getting, uh, you know, diamond fever. He's, he seems to be a little too interested in diamonds. And, uh, you know, so he says, no. He says, my son-in-law, my Talmud, has no interest in diamonds. He's interested only in Tyra. But he's taking a musser from these little diamond chips that they're so small. They're just shards of diamond. But yet they have a lot of value. And that's how Tyra is. He says, every little chip of Tyra... Every Vard, every Dvar Taira, every Pasuk, every Rashi, every, every Chazal, every little bit of Taira and every little bit of time that you spend on Taira is incredibly valuable. 
And if you could see that a diamond chip is so valuable, a chip of Tyra, the Psylas of Tyra, the Psylas of Luchais, Misham Asher Mesha. Mesha Rabbeinu got wealthy from chapping around these little pieces of time and of Tyra. Mendel Kaplan was a uh, legendary Rosh Hashiva in Skokie and in, uh, in Philly, and uh, he was always very insightful. If you read his book, there's a biography about him called Mendel and His Wisdom. And he was an incredible, incredibly insightful person. And he used to analyze everything in the world, like cars, and the, he always had a vart on everything, and he brought out like a certain brilliance in everything in the world to bring it as a musavart in Tyra. So he lived in Chicago for the years that he taught in Skokie. And in Chicago, there is a, uh, a big building. It's called the Wrigley Building. And it's like a skyscraper, or like a skyscraper back in the, in the 50s at least. I don't know if it still would count as a sky, but it's a big building. I believe it's still there. And... Um, and he always used to say this bar every time he saw the Wrigley Building. The Wrigley Building was, of course, uh, owned by the company that made Wrigley chewing gum. Like Wrigley Field is also that same. Wrigley is a you know huge, like the biggest uh, manufacturer of, of gum in the country. So he says, look at how you can get so wealthy from little pieces of gum. How much does a piece of gum cost? You go into a store, you buy a pack of gum. Uh, what is it? It used to be like uh, five cents, twenty-five cents back in those days. Probably a penny. And he says, from pennies here and pennies there, they were able to sell so much gum that they were able to build this huge skyscraper. And that's the way life is. Life is exactly like that. If you, if you say, "Well, what's a, a piece of gum? What do you mean, what's a piece of gum? One piece of gum might be nothing, but if you can multiply one piece of gum by a billion, now you already have some money." Now it's already business. And that's how it is with Tyra. A minute here, a minute there, doesn't seem like a lot, but if you find those minutes of your life, and they're constant, so then you'll, you'll really be able to be this Asher. There's a, a beautiful uh, picture of Hermesha Feinstein, that he was sitting and learning, between Gavra la Gavra, how many of us learn like between alias? Between alias, either you you know you just space out, or maybe uh, you know you talk to somebody or whatever. But Ramesh had a special seder in Mishnayos, Ben Gavra So he would basically he would stand by the near the bima to hear Kriya Satira. There was a, a young boy that would hold open a chumash for him to follow inside. As soon as the aliyah was over and the and the the ayla made the bracha. He ran back to his seat and he sat and he had a Mishnayas there and he learned one Mishnah, two Mishnayas. Then he ran back as soon as the next Ayla was called up to the Taira. And like, it doesn't make sense. Professor Ramesha knew Shas Balpeh. So like, but this whole thing seems a little, you know, extraneous. But why did Ramesha need to do this? Ramesha understood how valuable time is. And it's something that you know, especially in our dar, it's very, we don't realize it. We don't realize how much time we waste, all of us, you know, on, on stupid things, on, on, 
you know, on checking our email constantly and checking our text, checking our WhatsApp, checking, checking our, you know, the sports and the news and the constant, the same thing over and over again. It's, you know, instead of spending a, a finite amount of time on that, it just stretches and time becomes very, very cheap. But people that understand the value of time and how time is life, they don't squander even a minute. Every minute is, is precious. I think the best example of, of the squandering of time is by chasnas. Chasnas are the biggest killer of time ever. Every time you go to a chasna, okay, so you're hungry, so you eat by the shmorg, fine. Then you sit by the chuppah until the chasna and kala come out, and until the, you know, the actual ceremony begins, it's... Very often it could be a, a half an hour, 40 minutes, just until everybody piles into the room and then the music starts, whatever. It's a very big killer of time. And then after the chuppah is over, until the chassan and kala come out, it's sometimes literally two, two and a half hours. It's amazing. They, they're taking pictures, and everybody does it. So it's, you know, it's normal. But it's not normal that we have so much time. And what do you do? You sit by the table, you schmooze, or whatever. So... What a lot of smart people do is that is they, if they know that they're going to a chasna, they'll make sure to, let's say, I don't like when people like walk around with svarim at chasnas. It's like mefzaki or it's like, it's like shtachin everybody that, you know, I'm busy learning while you're doing nothing. But what you do is, like, what I do a lot of times is if I, if I'm, you know, if I think about it beforehand, I print out, let's say, the daf or something, you know, you go on, on, on certain websites, on HebrewBooks.org, you get like a perfect printout of like a daf gemara. Like it's like mamish. It's not like one of these old fuzzy. It's like perfect. With it's like as nice as any gemara's daf. And and you put it in your pocket. You fold it up, and then you keep on. Every time there's a break, you take it out and you learn. Whether it's the daf that you're learning in first seder, night seder, daf yaimi, it doesn't have to be gemara. It could be chumish. It could be uh, being maver sedra, but Bring, bring something to read, to learn, to a chasna. Just to have some, because these minutes are like squandered. And it's such a, it's such a bitelzman. There are certain chasnas, they make shiurim during this time. You know, that's, I don't know if it ever really took off, but there was try, they tried to make like a push to have shiurim or dafyamis being given during, you know, after the chuppah, between the chuppah and the dance. But I don't think it really ever took off because the Bali Simcha want the room to be full. They don't want people going out to, you know, side rooms and not, they want, they want that there should be an ilum in the room. So sit in the room, sit by the table and, and, and take out your sheet from your pocket and learn. Take out an index card, take out your, your note, something that you're able to, you know, to do. Some people have on their smartphones, you know, a lot of, uh, or whatever it's called and you're able to have access, you know, without printing anything out, but it's, Whatever, whatever it is, but just do it. Like, just make sure that you're not wasting an entire evening with nothing, because that would be a very big, uh, a very big shame. That's one shot in this medrash, in this chazal, about that the psalas should be yours. That Moshe Rabbeinu got wealthy from the chippings, those little nothings of the Torah. That's where the wealth lies. The wealth lies. One piece of Torah, five minutes here, five minutes there, ten minutes there, half a minute there. And that's a very chash of a thing. The Bali Musa used to make starim, five-minute starim. In Kelm, they would have a five-minute seder on Arab Shabbos. We would have, let's say, a seder if we were Kelm. We would have a seder until, let's say, 11 o'clock. 
then everybody would go to Main Street do their shopping for Shabbos. Two o'clock in the afternoon, you'd come back to the Beis Medrash for five minutes Seder, and then you'd go back and you'd finish up whatever shopping and getting ready for Shabbos you had. And the reason for that Seder, even though it sounds like, you know, what are you doing, is to teach everybody the importance of five minutes. Five minutes is not something to sneeze at. Five minutes is major. And five minutes here, five minutes there, the psalis here, the psalis there, from there you can be so asher. But you have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, I have a minute here, and I have a minute there, and I have a ben gavra and I have a, a chasna during the chuppah, after the chuppah, on an airplane, in a doctor's office. A doctor's office also. Sometimes you can wait in a doctor's office for an hour, more. And there's nothing to read there. There's only these, these, these magazines that you can't look at. And, and so bring a Sefer, bring a Gemara, bring, bring a Chumash. Know, know that you have to have something to look at while you're there. And that is not a Dvaram Shalmabakach. That's major. That's how you become a Tamil Chacham. I wanted to just say perhaps another Nakuda in what this means that Silas that Sultan This is very, very important also. It's maybe a little similar, but it's along the same lines, but it's very important. Perhaps what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was telling Maishra Rabbeinu was that, Maishra Rabbeinu, your carvings, your writing of the Luchais is how you're going to become wealthy. And what that means is that the major way to be a Tamar Chacham, to become wealthy in Tyra, not just to become wealthy in Tyra, but to have Sipok. Aisha is really Ezeo Asher Asamech Bechelkai. How do you have Sipok? How do you, how are you able to feel good about your learning? Very often we don't feel so good about our learning. You know why? Because we learn a whole year, and maybe with Chazar a little bit, maybe we don't. We go through Shiurim after Shiurim after Shiurim. And very little is retained. We don't remember it. And so after a whole year, sometimes you, know, you go and you look back, like, or like, try to think about last year, what we learned, and if you can even remember the Masechta, and then, and then try to think, how much did you get from all year's learning? And it's depressing. You feel like very little seepuk, unless you really have a Kenyan in it. Some people do make a kinyan. Some people really, they make a seem on Nol Masechta, and they chazer the shirim, and they chazer, they have cycles of chazaran. That's great. But most of us don't do that. So how are you able to really feel a connection to Tyra and a sipuk in Tyra when you might not have it? And I think the Rabbani Shalom is saying to Meshach Rabbeinu, Pesal if you write something down, if you write your own chidushim down, that's how you will become full of sipuk of learning. If you don't feel a personal connection to learning, then learning is something that's rachuk from you. But if you're able to have, let's say, a notebook at the beginning of the year, or forget the beginning of the year, today, you go to the store in the afternoon after, after the shmuz, and you go and you buy yourself a nice notebook. It could be a, you know, a, a chidushe taira book that's like chashev like they sell in... Uh, in some farm stores that has, you know, in Eretz Yisrael, it's a big uh, souvenir gift. It says Chidush and it's a nice binding, and it's all blank papers. That's a very exciting present, because that's pure potential. 
And when a person is able to have a safer, it doesn't have, it could be just a regular spiral notebook or a, you know, one of those Mead notebooks. Um, whatever it is, you buy it, you keep it by your, by your stender, by your table, and the more that you're able to write in that book, the more you will feel a seatbook. It's a, it's a guaranteed, it's Badakumanusa. The greatest feeling of seatbook, of happiness in Taira, is when you're able to figure out on your own Chidushe Taira and find your Chelek in Taira. We each have our own unique Chelek in Taira. But if it's just like, yeah, I had a, I had a kasha once and I had a teretz once, you don't remember anything, you don't remember kasha teretz, you have no kasha to it, then it's not, it doesn't stay by you. The greatest way of feeling a seatbook is having a pen and a pad and taking notes and whatever ha'ara comes up. If you're, you're learning Chumash, you're being Maver Sedra and you're learning Kisisa and you have a, and Rashi says something and it's a little strange. Why did Rashi say, um, this extra lashon misham this asher meisha harbe harbe is a strange word. Why harbe? It should be just misham this asher meisha. And you think about it. first, you write it down. You don't have to right away come up with the tarot. You could talk to people about it, or you could use your own creativity and then try to find chazalin and see what the medrash where Rashi gets it from says. And you get into something. You write a chiddush. It's in a book. It's there. That is the greatest form of sipuk. And then you have one vart after another vart after another. Before you, before you know it, you have like notebooks full of your own chidushet Torah. By the way, it doesn't have to be your own chidushet Torah. That's the best way. If you could be creative on your own and think of your own chidushim, it could be on Chumash, it could be on the sugya that you're learning, uh, your own ha'aris on, on the Gemara, Rashi, Taisus, Machlegas, Rishayinim, Achreinim. It doesn't, it could be that. Or it could be just merely writing down Every time you hear a, a good shear, every time you hear a good shmuz, you write it down. Now you have a whole book, or if you like using your computer, your laptop, you have a whole you know, file full of chidushim that you're able to come back to. Since I was a little kid, I used to write things down. And like, even when I was, I remember when I was in, uh, I don't know, in, in maybe eighth grade, ninth grade, if I heard something that the Rob said on Shabbos morning in Shul, after Shabbos, after Abdullah, I would go and write it down. I still have those notebooks. And they, they give you, a lot. it doesn't have to be your own Tyra necessarily, it could be other people's Tyra. But the more that you have written down, whenever you hear a good vart, right? Otherwise it's in one ear and out the other. You're not going to remember. If I tell you a good vart now, then what are the chances that in a year from now, unless you hazard it, unless you, or you have a photographic memory, that you're going to remember it? But if, let's say, every Shabbos, every time somebody speaks and you hear a good vart, you go after Shabbos and you write it down, then next year, Parshas Kisisa, you'll have something to say over at the table, you'll have something to say in Yeshiva, you'll have your own things to remember. If you're able to be malakit on your own, chidushim, and you write it down, psal l'cha. What you write down, what you etch in your notebook, there is no comparison. You have such sipuk from that. And maybe eventually, you know, if you have enough chidushim or enough uh, your own or others and you want to, you know, someday write your own sefer, that's doable. It won't be doable if you, ha- if you have no notes, no recollection of anything. Then it's just going to be depression. But when you write something down, when you keep chidushet Torah, it's unbelievable. There was a, a Balabayas in Long Beach where I grew up. 
And he was, a, I don't even know, I think he was a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And he was very, he loved Tyra. He was like obsessed with Tyra. Every, time, every Shabbos, whenever I would be home for Shabbos, he'd come over to me and ask me a, a kasha or show me a... He liked the Rabbeinu Bechaya, he liked the Meshachach. He had a few go-to sarim, and you know, he would get so into it. And he had this thing. He, he bought these Chidushet Taira books, and when he died, he was, Nebuch, he was very sick, and by his shiva, there was like a chair, and on the chair was literally 30, 40 Chidushet Taira books full of his own Chidushim. Full of his own Chidushim. His granddaughter told me by the Shiva how when her grandfather was Mamish Besaif Yama, he was very, very sick, and uh, he called her and he told her that he had, uh, she was learning in, in a seminary in, in Eretz Yisrael, and he said that, you know, he ran out of Chidushet Taira books, and he was like very upset. And you couldn't get them here in America at the time, I don't know if you can today, but she basically she was coming back home shortly thereafter, and she had them stamp on it, you know, a whole beautiful inscription and gold stamp on the cover, and, you know, she brought it to him, and he, I don't know if he managed to fill up that whole last volume, but that was the last volume of his Chidush Taira. I don't know what happened to these books, they were planning on printing them, but the point is that it gives you such a seat book when you know that you're doing something, when you're writing your own Taira, that is the greatest Aisha. We don't realize how, if you don't have these things, if you don't have any, you have nothing concrete to show for a year of learning. You might have schar and shamayim, but you don't have schar down here. You don't feel like, I have something, I, I got something from the whole year. But if, let's say, you have four solid loose leaves or notebooks full of chidushim from your rebbe, from your, from, from your chabura, from your own, and, you, you, okay, this is what I have. This is tough shanayim tas. I have something to show for it. I could look back on it. If I remember a Vard, I remember a Chiddush, I remember a Chakira, I could basically find it now. That is such an important part of Liman Atayra. The Aisher of Meishu Rabbeinu is Psalucha. He carved, he wrote down the Luchais. And from writing down Luchais, from writing down Taira, Misham Nisasher Meishu. The seat book that he got was from the fact that everything was written down. The stipler used to say that how important it is to write down Chidushet Taira and, and to publish them at, at a certain point. He would contrast two great G'daylam. How one did this and one did not do this and the difference between them. There was a great God by the name of Abula Peslover. Abula Peslover is, uh, was one of the great G'aynim of Europe. He's known for like one Vart in particular uh, everybody talks about him. I think uh, the Chayadim brings down a Chiddush from him about Rosh Hashanah. On the, if, you, if you forgot to say on, uh, on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, if you forgot to say, you know, if you, for, if you didn't daven, uh, if you didn't say Amelach HaKadosh on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, whether you have to go back. Um, so he's Mechadish, that just like if you forget Yalav Yavai on Rosh Chaydish night, you don't have to go back in Shemana Asrei or Yaitzei. He says, if you forget Amalek HaKadosh, you also don't need to go back. That, that was like a, a famous Kiddush of Avla Peslava, and everybody is done on this Kiddush. But the stifle used to say that Rav Avla Peslava had 
millions of Chidushe Taira. He said that when uh, he had thousands of chuvas that he wrote to people, and there, he, he died with 60 parcels full of Chidushe Taira manuscripts. He had man, like camp trunks, 60 camp trunks worth of, uh, of Chidushe Taira. And what happened was he never bothered to publish them. He never went the next step and published them. I guess he assumed that someday they'll, they'll find it. They'll, you know, his Yarshim will put it out. Of course, what happened was nobody put it out. And we have really very little Tyra from this great guy that wrote so much. He wrote, but he never bothered to take it to the next step and make sure that it was published. He says, contrast that with the Ketzeis. The Ketzeis, he says, was a, he, he was like a, a high school rabbi. He wasn't like a, you know, he wasn't a big Rosh Shiva. He was a, he taught, he taught Malamid uh, and But he wrote Chidushim, he wrote the Ketzeis, he wrote the Avne Miluim, and he wrote the Shev Shmeitzer, those three classics for him. And he insisted on publishing them. He didn't just say, all right, I wrote them, let's keep them in a desk drawer and see what happens. He went and he published them. If you ever look in the Hakdam of the Ketzeis, uh, his brother, the Ketzeis' brother, uh, was also a tremendous guy, and his name was, he wrote a saber called the Truma Sakri. So he writes in the Hakdama how his brother insisted on printing these svarim, and he says, I, you know, I, but he, he, he said, when I saw how excited my brother was to print these svarim, he says, I stopped whatever I was doing in my life, I went to Warsaw where they had the big printing press. And there I spent, I think he spent about a half a year in Warsaw just for his brother to go edit the Chidushim and to make sure that they were published properly and to be made on top of the, the printing press to make sure that it came out just right and the bindery and everything should just be, be just so. Because my brother had such a chiyos and he had such a cheshek from spreading his Torah that I wanted to help him. That's where he, he brings the famous uh, Rabbi de Moscato there are Chaim Shmulevitz uh, quotes that a famous line he says that if a person would have the ability to go up to Shamayim and to see all the Tzva Mali, so you, let's say you're a, you get a, you go into a space shuttle and you're able to see amazing the galaxies and the sun and the moon and the earth and uh, you know from and and all of the the beauty and the glory of of, of Shamayim, he says that your sepuk would not be complete. Your satisfaction would not be complete just doing that. At Shuvai, until you come back to planet Earth and share what you saw with other people. If you don't share with other people, that's why you know you go to restaurants, everybody's like taking taking pictures of their food, right? And, and I never saw that in my life. All of a sudden, this generation, everybody, the food comes out and says, oh, wow, it looks so good. Everybody takes their, their smartphone, starts snapping pictures, putting them up on Instagram, whatever they're doing with it. And... Because, you know, what's, it's not worth anything. If you didn't take a picture of it, the experience is not there. You have to take a picture and show other people what you ate, what you had, what you, where you went. If I go to Hawaii and nobody knows about it, then what's it worth? So, Rabbi de Moscato said this, and the Ketais' brother quoted this and says, I saw how much my brother wanted to share his tire with the world, so I, I stopped everything and I did it. But so the stipler says that the Ksais went out of his way to make sure that his Chidushe Tayr were published in the right time. And he because of that, that 
endeavor of publishing his Kedusha Torah changed the Torah world as we know it. He says, imagine what the Torah world would look like without the Ktsais, without the Avni Milum, without the Shev Shmeitz, it would be a different world. All because he went and he, he didn't just, he wrote it down, that's the first step, and then eventually he published it. Now, publishing is not something that you do when you're young. A lot of times, there's a beautiful letter of the Pachad Yitzchak, Rav Hutner wrote to Talmud, Talmud wanted to ask Amma, uh, to a sefer that he, was, he wanted to publish. And the Talmud was very young, I don't know how old he was, probably you know, in his, in his mid-twenties maybe. And the Pachad Yitzchak writes him a letter and says that, um, please don't take this the wrong way, but don't publish your sefer. He says, it's good, but you could do, you'll do better, and if you take my word for it, Trust me, you know, you put it aside and then maybe 10 years, 20 years from now, you'll decide whether or not it was the chidushim were really good. By then you'll look back and you'll say, yeah, this, is, this is what I, you know. But if you put out something when you're too young, then later in life it could be like, you know, people will think that you were there and really now you're here and it might not always reflect well on, on you. This is what Rav Hutner wrote back. So, it's basically a two-step thing. You have to write down everything, every chiddush, every or it doesn't even have to have a, an ending. Sometimes just the kasha is good enough. Sometimes you have svarim, and it just I have a rebbe that they put out his svarim after he died, and it just has a section of it just kashas that he wrote down that he never answered. But that also is kasha. That's also a you know a, a marganisa to see what a gadol um, had a kasha on. Your kashas are very chashav. Your terutzim are, are chashav. All of this is psalucha. You want satisfaction in learning? Get yourself a notebook. Keep it by your, by your gemara. Keep it by your chumash. Keep it by your bedside. And you think of something and you write it down and then you write down another thing. Before you know it, you'll fill up notebooks and notebooks and much of it will be very usable and someday maybe you'll be able to write very chashav asvarim on the basis of this of this project. There's a Gemara in Baba Basra that says, Ashrei mi sheba lakan b'talmudai biyadai. And fortunate is somebody that comes here b'talmudai biyadai and he has the Talmud in his hand. What does it mean he has the Talmud in his hand? So the simple shot is that I know it cold. I go up to Shamayim, you can test me, I know the whole thing backwards and forwards in my hand. It's in the, the palm of my hand, I own it. But the Masha doesn't say that. The Masha says, you know what it means with Talmud Abiyadai? He says that you wrote down Chidushim. You wrote down Taira, the Talmud Abiyadai, takes it literally, with your hand. You wrote down Chidushe Taira, that's what you take up to Shamayim with you. You take up to Shamayim those things, those Chidushim, those Aharas that you write down, that's what's yours. That's ultimately what's yours. That's Psal Lecha. You know what's yours forever for Nitzchias? It's the Torah that you wrote down. Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein, Zalgazunstein, the Rabbi Yashiv son in law, he writes in one of his many Svarim, he has like tons of Svarim, he has like uh, the Chashukei Chemed and the uh, uh, you know, I don't know how many svarim he has. He has like massive amounts of svarim, very good svarim. So he writes that he once was in a hospital, I think in B'nai Brak, and he was walking down the corridor and he saw that there was this old yid and he had like like tubes, he was hooked up to tubes and, and oxygen tanks and, and he was 
sitting there and writing in a notebook with a Gemara and, and his notebook and he was writing and he came over to him and he says, you know, Rabid, what are you busy with here? You look like you're very sick. What are you writing here? He says, what do you mean? The Marsha. He says, Ashrei Misha I don't have so much more time left. I want to chaprain a little bit more Talmud Not just learning, but learning with a pen. Learning with a pen, learning with a pad, learning with a... With a that is so chashev. The sepok is unbelievable. There, you know, when, when you have a growing amount of Chidush Torah, one leads to another and leads to another, and, and you have a lot. Whether it's whatever it is that you're learning, it doesn't matter. It could be, it could be Chumash, it could be Nach, it could be, uh, you know, you find something yourself that you have a project in, like your own private war, that you want to be Isaac. When I was 25 years old, I wrote a, it was never published, but I, I wrote um, a uh, two Svarim, and one of them was on the Halachas of the Levim and the Beis HaMikdash, the Avedas HaLevim and the Beis HaMikdash, the Shira and the, and the Shayarim, you know, opening and closing the gates, and the Shira, and uh, all of the Halachas Levim, I basically, like, did, like, a mass amount of research. I'm a Levi, and I, and I, uh, and, uh, and that was one thing, and then I wrote another thing on the Shira, on the Shira Shalyaim. And I took every Shira Shalyaim of the week, Shabbos, and then the Gra or there's Mesechus uh, Seifrim that has the, the Shir Shayim that they used to send every day of Yantif in the Beis HaMikdash. They had a, a separate Shir Shayim. And, and I basically went through all of these Kapitel Chtelem and tried to make Taira about why that Shir Shayim is Shayach to that day. And I never published it. Maybe someday I will. But like that was... And it, it, but it, it gave me such a chiyos in learning... You know, just being able, you make your own project. You find something interesting, whatever, whatever it is. You find some guy is interested in, in Hilchas Tam. Someone's interested in Hilchas in Hilchas Shulach Hakan. Someone's interested in uh, Brachas. Someone in Shabbos and Hilchas this and whatever it is. Some, everyone has their own their own personal thing that they like. Some people love learning Mesechas Megillah. So don't just learn Mesechas Megillah. Try to be Mechadesh, or try to be Ma'asev Chidushem and Ha'aris and whatever. And then the more you have, that's yours. Now you really own the Mesechta. And you feel like it's yours. It's, you feel that your Chelek and Taira is there. And it's tangible, and it's real, and it's exciting. And so many times, this is an eighth that I give people, and it works. It, it's public ministry. It works every time. So you, know, you burned out, you know, whatever. You're not so into the sugi. You're not so into this. Something, something has to. You need a recharge. Very simple. Go to a store and buy a, ni- a nice new notebook. And then, one day at a time, you just write and write and write. And before you know it, you'll have so much seapok because this is your own personal project. Now you have something and you're, it's growing and you become a bigger Tamil Chacham also. Because now your Chidushim are not just Dvarm Shlomabakach, they're, they're real, they're concrete, and you have evidence that you are Machadish things this year. So Tavshanayin Tess is not just going to be another year of Etch-a-Sketch that you have and then you shake it and now it's Tavshan, uh, uh, whatever comes after pay. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a year that you really have on the shelf, Tavshanayin Tess. And that's what you bring to Shamayim because that gives you Tavshanayin test. Now for, for Nitzchias, Tavshanayin test takes a form. It takes, there, there's something there. That's Psalachav, the Psulim, the, the, the writing down, 
is such a critical part of, of Limit Atayra. And it's just a, it's a great Eitzah that everyone... It, I'm not saying that you should publish right away. That's not what I'm saying. You should write, and you should write and write as much as you can, and then later in life, as you, you, know, as you get older and wiser and you become a bigger Tamakachim, you'll be mapping yourself what you think is, is suitable for publishing, what's not suitable for publishing, and, but you'll have so much Taira that you'll be a, a Mayan Amiskaber. And many big Tamidich HaChamim became Tamidich HaChamim precisely because they understood this trick. That they're not just learning. If you can learn and you can chazer and everything is great, then you might not need this. But I think even then you need it. Because it's such an amazing thing to find your Chelek and Taira through your writing. Amit Hashem, this is uh, you know, two great lessons that we learned today from this one Chazal. Not, uh, it's, it's a chazal that if we would have ourselves you know, been aimen on, the problem is we just learn, we don't, we don't ever try to think deeper into a chazal. You see a chazal like this, and that Meisha became wealthy from the psilas, what does this mean? So obviously there's a pshuta shalmikra, but there's also so much room for chidushim here. You find a medrash like this, you find a rashi in chumash, there is so much depth no, I, I once, uh, this is why I once, Rav Aaron Schechter, his Rashiv in Chaim Berlin, once asked me, you know, how Chaim Berlin changed me. How I felt like that, being in that yeshiva as opposed to the other great yeshivas that I was in before, like what was Nishadish to you here? And I said something, he got a lot of Hanna, I said that from the morale that's very much emphasized in Chaim Berlin and Pachad Yitzchak, um, it's basically, it's, it's like sort of taking a jackhammer and going as deep as you can into, a, into, into Chazal. Meaning there's, a, there's two ways of learning. You can either learn, okay, Moshe was Nisasher, you know, he's an Anav, and he was a Chacham, he's a Gibar, he's an Asher, a Viter. Or you can stop and think a little bit, what does this mean? What do Chazal, what are they trying to convey over here? What's the lesson that I could take from this? Does it mean literally that Maishu became a millionaire and before this he wasn't a Navi? There's so much Aymek in Taira. It's just asking, it's begging for us to darshan. It's begging for us to come and think about it and come up with, there's no wrong shatim. It's not like somebody's going to laugh at you and say, that's ridiculous. And if they do, just shrug it off. There's so much depth. This isn't, what I, what I said today is not something that you couldn't say. Pesach Stein said today is not something that we just, he just stopped and thought about what does this mean that the chippings Meshur Rebbeinu got wealthy from the chip is that something that's impossible for us to think of the only difference is that he thought of it and we didn't think of it but we might have our own shot maybe think about it as independent and, and come up with your own shot what this means about what is this Gemara talking about what is the Rashi talking about and then write it down, and then have another, and then when you come across another interesting Chazal, Medrash, Gemara, Tysis, then ask yourself the same questions, what, do, what can I gain from this? And write it down, and before you know it, pruta, pruta, mitzaref is l'shir gadol. You have one penny here, one penny there, before you know it, you're a millionaire. A penny alone, you throw it out. But many pennies, you have a, you know, a whole big room full of pennies, that's already considerable. And that's what every safer on the shelf around the room did. It's not like they were, you know, it just came to them at once. 
It was they had a hara here, a hara there, and, and as they were learning, they wrote, and from this they became very wealthy. They became wealthy in a sense that we're still talking about the Ktsais and the Shev Shmeitzer, the Avne Miluam, the Stipler, all these we're talking about today because they bothered to write things down and spread it through through being able to 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 to, to publish their chidushim. The Sefer Chassidim, and we'll end with this, says that if you have a chidush and you don't write it down, he says it's bechlal gezel derabim. It's considered that you're stealing from the public because Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave you this chidush. Why do you give it to me? Why do you give a chidush to me? Not so I should keep it myself and then like and nothing ever happens with it. He gave it to me so that I should tell you. And so if I keep it to myself and I don't write it down, it's going to be forgotten. If I write it down but I don't publish it at the right time, it's going to be forgotten. So Sefer Chassidim says, and a lot of Hakdamas to Svarim bring the Sefer Chassidim sort of to justify why they published the Sefer, because they felt, who am I to publish the Sefer? This Sefer Chassidim is the Machayim to publish Svarim. Because you don't want to chas v'shalom, go up to Shemaim. They're going to say, hey, what happened to all of your svarim? When what happened to all my svarim? You had svarim. No, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. I gave you a mind. I gave you the ability to think. I gave you the ability to write. I gave you the money to write, to buy a notebook. And you never bothered doing that. You never bothered publishing anything. You never bothered spreading your tyra in in any which way. And so you stole what I gave you. I gave you Tyra, and, you, and you, you squandered it. This is something that's, I think, a very great trick to being of ourselves in Tyra. There's no greater endeavor. When you're busy with being mechadish something, just like, you know, we speak, we speak about when you're making a chabura, and you're supposed to present to a chabura, and you have a week to prepare, and you know exactly what you're focusing on, what your sugi is, that week is kaidish kachim. Your whole week, you're pacing back and forth trying to refine your chiddush and bring rayas to it and looking all over. There's nothing like that. In a similar way, there's nothing like when you are working on a project and learning. Whatever it is, anything that interests you, it could be anything. But it's all kaidish kadashim when you're busy sitting, writing, refining, editing, being maisev. That is the most beautiful experience in life when you're busy with a project and you want to you know, really refine it and perfect it and spread it there's nothing more amazing than that feeling when you feel that you have your own and here it is this is what I was mechadish the Rabbi gave me gifts and here it is this is what I have to show for it the seepuk of life, the seepuk of, of a bentaira, is when they're able to write things down, to retain things, to remember things, to hazard things, to be able to have a, an actual physical manifestation of what I did this year. And when you do that, that's the beginning of the, of the unbelievable aliyah that we can make in the world of the yeshiva as bentaira and as, as tamidichacham. Have a wonderful Shabbos.